0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, November the 13th, 2023. It is currently 4.31 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Let's begin with what I love. I do this frequently. You know how I love to begin mini broadcasts. I like to I like to begin mini broadcasts by asking you a question, and then we kind of take that question and work on it, right? I like to do that because it gives you a question to think about, to meditate on way after the broadcast has ended. And if I can accomplish that, then I've accomplished something, right? I mean, you may hate the teaching. You may hate the way I speak. You may hate, you. I may make 50 mistakes, but if I give you at least one thing, to, to, like a question to ponder, to meditate on, to discuss with other people, then I've accomplished something even if everything else goes horribly wrong. It's at least, at least I try to tell myself, well, you know, I, I gave them a question to think about, so even if they hated the entire broadcast, they at least got that. I at least try to tell myself that. I don't know if it actually... Works that way, but I like to think that. So let me ask you a question. When you talk about the subject of repentance and forgiving other people, when you talk about this amongst your Christian friends, people you go to church with, maybe Sunday school teacher, deacons, elders, pastors, whomever you may be discussing theological and biblical concepts, is this a, is it common to hear something along these lines? Well, if someone really repents, if someone really repents and if they're really sorry, then they will stop doing the thing they're repenting about. They will stop doing the sin that they're repenting of. They will stop doing it. And if they don't stop doing it, then the repentance isn't genuine. Then they're not really sorry. So you don't have to forgive them because they're not really sorry. Their repentance isn't genuine. In other words, is is it common amongst your Christian circle that if someone truly repents, they stop the sin? They don't do it again. They, they turn from it. They're done. They, they don't. And it, may, maybe they'll fall back into it five years, ten years down the road. But if they're really sorry and if they really repent, they're basically they're going to move away from it and that's going to be the end of it. Do you think that way? Is that a common teaching, a common belief in your church? Is that preached from the pulpit of your church? Hey, if someone truly repents, they're going to stop doing it. If someone is really sorry, they are going to stop doing it. I believe that's a pretty common teaching. I believe it's 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 common within the Christian world to think that way. Now, I'm just going to throw out before we even look at what's raising this question in my mind, w- before we even get there. All right. Someone just said, I believe that's very common. Okay. I, I, I believe it's very common, but before I even look at the text we're going to look at, and before we even go there, I'm just going to raise, I'm just going to kind of play devil's advocate here, right? You can have someone who repents, who acknowledges what they've done is wrong. They, they know it's wrong. They feel bad. They want to turn from it. They want to do the right thing, but all of that repenting. All of that mourning over their sin, acknowledging that sin, hating themselves for that sin, all of that does not negate a reality that I think Christians at least claim in theory to believe, and that is we possess a sinful nature. You can repent of an action. You can say you're sorry for the action, but your sinful nature still exists. And if as long as your sinful nature still exists, you're going to find yourself over and over and over sinning. 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 You may find yourself returning to the same sin. At least that's the perspective I'm going to put forth. I know there, there. I get emails all the time. You preach this pathetic, weak Christianity. It is so sad that you don't understand the power of God. And of course... They typically don't explain to me why this power of God cannot get me to sinless perfection, but they almost act like that it does. Of course, they're not really willing to expose every area of their life because most likely I would be able to clearly show them that all the power they speak of doesn't seem to really get them much more godly than the people who supposedly don't have said power. But that's a whole different discussion. The I am going to stay. From a theological perspective, that no matter how much you repent, no matter how sorry you may be, no matter how much guilt and shame you feel, you still have the exact same sin nature. And that sin nature, it sins, it pursues sin, it desires sin, it pursues its own way, it desires what it wants irregardless of the shame, the guilt, the mourning, the, the grief that the sin may cause, the sin nature doesn't care. The sin nature is not moved by any of that. The sin nature is it wants what it wants. Now, some may try to argue and say, no, 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 by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can overcome the sin nature. Well, again, if you say by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can overcome the sin nature, then we should be able to be sinless. But then they always say, no, you can overcome the sin nature. However, you can't do it perfectly. Then meaning there's a limit to the power. So then how, how much power is supposed to be manifest? And then they can never really in any way, shape or form ever explain this. They can't, they can't, they can't come up with anything other than just some like kind of saying two things, you've got the power, but you don't have the power, but they don't ever calculate it or explain it or, or in any way, help you understand exactly what that's supposed to look like, because they don't have a good answer. They just know that as a Christian, we're supposed to talk about all of this power. I'm going to say again, no matter how much you repent, that sin nature is going to remain. Now, that seems to call into question the general teaching that, hey, if someone's really sorry, if someone really repents, they're going to stop doing it. And if they don't, then their repentance is not genuine because that's a common teaching. I'm going to call that into question. I've just called it into question because I believe the sinful nature continues to remain. I'm going to call it into question from that perspective. But the whole reason I'm thinking about this is because the lectionary reading today, the gospel reading is Luke chapter 17. And if you've been listening to the podcast recently, you kind of feel with kind of the lane that we've gotten into, right? We're just going with the lectionary. And we've we found ourselves in Luke 14. What a crazy <laughs> A time that was, and then yesterday at Victory Baptist Church, we found ourselves in Luke 16. What another crazy time. I still don't know if we figured that thing out. That was crazy. And then today we have Luke 17, which once again raises all kinds of questions and difficulties. These readings in Luke have just been... Like, it's like, hey, here's, here's uh, you know, you, you need something to do in hermeneutics class. Here's these readings from Luke that will absolutely ruin <laughs> your day in hermeneutics class because you're all going to fail. And like, that's basically what it feels like. But here's Luke chapter 17, all right? So I'm just going to read through some of this. There's one, there's only one area I'm going to focus on, but let's at least start with the basic uh, of, the, of most of this, re- of the reading for today. I'm not going to get, well, I may even get to the whole thing. Here we go. Luke chapter 17, verse one, then said he unto the disciples, that's Jesus. He speaks unto his disciples. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come! Hey, it is impossible that offenses uh, it, that it, it's it's impossible that offenses will come. In other words, it, offenses are going to come. It's impossible for that not to happen. Offen- offenses are going to occur. Now, this word that's that's translated offenses in the King James. If I pick up a different Bible, which is down here, and I go to Luke seventeen. They, they translate this word offenses as, well, they tra- I translate it as well as offenses. He said to his disciples, offenses will certainly come, right? So there's going to be things, the, these offenses, these stumbling blocks, these temptations, these scandals. Things are going to happen in our lives because we live in a fallen, sinful world. Temptations going to come. Things that cause us to stumble, they are going to happen. Like it's it's spoken of as a guarantee. They certainly are going to happen. As long as you live your Christian life, there's going to be things that cause you to stumble, things that cause you to fall, things that are going to be scandalous, things that are going to be temptations. We we could get into a whole host of the, uh, about, we could get into an entire podcast about this. Just note that in the Christian life, there's going to be things that are come, that's going to cause you to, that could cause you to stumble, could be tempted, to be, to be greatly offended, whatever the case may be, these things are going to happen. You just have to accept it because we live in a fallen world, which immediately tells me then if that's the case, well, guess what? <laughs> it's going to happen because Christians are still not perfect. Now, some will say, no, 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 these offenses are happening. These are coming from lost people. But I think this is more speaking amongst maybe believers, but you you, you can tell me what you think. But Here we go. So, hey, offenses are going to come. Stumbling blocks, temptations, scandalous things, things that could offend. But woe unto him from whom they come. All right. Offenses are going to happen, but there is a severe warning, a warning to those from whom it's going to come. Hey, it's one thing to say these offenses, these temptations, these stumbling blocks, they're going to be there, but it's a very bad thing when you're the person who's causing the stumbling block, the temptation, when you're the one responsible for it. That's a very bad thing. And Jesus gets very serious here, right? it were it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones now there's much debate in biblical scholarship about who the little ones are some believe that that's children i don't know if this is children i think that little ones here is a reference to new believers new converts new disciples these are, these are people who just are new to their faith. They're new to following Christ. And it says, hey, it would be better for you to take a milestone or, or millstone and throw yourself into an ocean than for you to cause one of these new converts, these new believer, believers, to be offended, to stumble, to fall. It would be better for you not—basically, I think the idea—it would be better for you not to exist— then for you to cause someone to stumble and fall. That's a serious warning because I think we've all been guilty to some level and probably causing someone to stumble, to fall, hurt people spiritually. We may have hurt new believers in our own church. We may have hurt believers in our own family. We may have hurt younger believers who are our neighbors we work with, we go to school with. People we may know online, we, we've all made these mistakes. And it says, hey, it's better for you to basically never exist. Now, some will say the idea is that it's better for you to never exist than experience the judgment that will come after. Some say, no, it's better to exist so there you would not cause the little one to stumble. Either way, it's a serious, serious warning. All right. Then it says, take heed to yourselves. So, all right, all right, you don't want to be the one, you don't want to be the one who's causing people to stumble, to scandalizing, offending. You don't want to be that person. And trust me, we've all probably done it to some level in our Christian life. You can look back going, I caused that person to stumble. I messed up here. I messed up there. We've all been guilty of it. And it's a serious thing to hear, hey, it would be better if you would just— dead. I mean, that's a, I don't even know how you wrap your mind around that. Now, I think clearly this is another example of Jesus using hyperbole. I think this is another, like, you know, cut off your right hand, pluck out your eye. Jesus is known for using, I think it's an exaggerated speech though to make a point. It would be better for you not to live than to cause someone else to stumble, to sin, to fall, to hurt someone. Avoid that at all costs is what he's saying. Then it says, "Take heed to yourself." If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. Now, all right, this seems to me, this, this seems to bring it all back into. this is all talking about kind of what happens within Christianity, within the church. Hey, it's impossible that you're not going to, there's not going to be stumbling and people are going to offend and tempt you. You don't want to be that person. So take heed to yourself. And then immediately he says, if thy brother trespass against thee. No, this is your brother. I think immediately take heed to yourself. Now look, you don't want to be the person causing people to stumble, but there could be people who causes you to stumble, who scandal, who, who does something scandalous that offends you or hurts you. Well, if your brother does that to you, they sin against you. They hurt you. They cause you to stumble. Now, look what he says. Look, look, look what he says here. Rebuke him. All right. So it's it's perfectly okay then to. I mean, it's acceptable then to to call someone out for their sin. It's 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 perfectly acceptable. Now you rebuke the person sinning. You don't go tell everyone else. You don't turn it into a public thing. You go to the person. Now, of course, if there's ill illegality. If there's a crime being committed, you have to report that. We're not saying cover up crime. But if it's a sin, you go to the person who committed the sin. They're like, hey, you sinned against me. You hurt me. You caused me whatever. And you rebuke that person. All right. Okay. Sometimes a rebuke has to occur. And if he repent, forgive him. So you go to the person like you trespassed against me, you offended me, you scandalized me, you 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 caused me to sin. Whatever the case may be, you hurt me. Now you go to them, and you rebuke him, and if the person repents, forgive him. If the person is like, hey, you know what, you're right, what I did was wrong, I am sorry, then you are to forgive him. Now this is where it comes into play because most would say, okay. How do you know the person repented? They stopped. They never committed the action again. They 100% stopped. And if they didn't, then their repentance is not genuine and you don't have to forgive them. That's typically the way it's it's put forth somewhat in Christianity. Hey, no, no, no. If they repent, you forgive them. How do you know they repented? They stopped. They never do it again. But wait, look at the next verse. And if he trespasses against thee seven times in a day and seven times in a day, turn again to thee saying, I repent, thou shall forgive him. Jesus doesn't even get into a discussion whether the repentance is genuine or not uh, genuine. Jesus seems to imply, no, no, no. If the person repents and says, I'm sorry, you forgive them seven times, even if they do it seven times in one day. Now we would say, no, no, no. The repentance isn't genuine. Jesus doesn't say the repentance isn't genuine. I mean the whole he conditions it. Look, the whole thing that this is conditioned at the very beginning. If your brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. The forgiveness seems to be it seems to be conditioned, it's conditional on if they repent. Well, we would say the repentance will be, they'll they'll commit the sin once and they'll never do it again. But Jesus goes on to the very next verse to say, if he sins against these seven times in one day and turns again to these saying, I repent, you forgive him. Now, either one, this means someone can repent and continue doing it. Or it means that Jesus doesn't care. He's not, it's not for us to judge whether someone's repentance is genuine. If someone says they've repented, we accept it and we forgive them. So either someone can repent and be genuine and yet still commit the same sin over and over and over, or Jesus is saying, it's not for you to decide whether the repentance is genuine. As long as they say they've repented, you forgive them. And it seems to be possibly you are forgiving someone who is bringing the offense, bringing the stumbling block Bringing the temptation into your life. If long as they say they repent, you forgive them. And if they do it seven times in one day, you just keep forgiving. Now, this goes against everything in our brain. We were like, no, 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 no. There's got to be a limit. Now, we know that in Matthew 18, this seems to get kind of turned up to even a greater level. Because in Matthew 18, verse 21, then came to Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say unto you, uh, unto thee, until seven times, but I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven, until 70 times seven. 70 times seven. That means they, and again, if you put this with the Luke passage, there seems to be, that would be 70 times seven. Someone would say, hey, I'm sorry. I repent, but they sin against you. Hey, I'm sorry. And even if they do it seven times in a day, if they do it 70 times seven, you are to keep forgiving Over over and over and over and over and over and over again. Now, either you've got two options. Either you're, you've, you are convinced that their repentance is not genuine, but Jesus says to forgive them anyway, or Jesus is saying, no, they have to repent. It is conditional upon their repentance, but as long as they say they've repented, you forgive them. So you're not even to question their repentance. Or is Jesus saying, no, you could possibly repent and continue to commit the same sin over and over and over and over and over. We would say that the repentance is not genuine. Now, I think the basic meaning of repentance, we've talked about this over and over and over, is just to change one's mind. Someone can change their mind and agree that this is wrong and I should not be doing it and I am sorry, but that doesn't mean immediately just because you change your mind about something, you're going to stop doing it. So is this an example of that repentance is not necessarily a change of behavior? It's a change of mind. Or is this an example that even if someone changes their mind and even if they change their behavior, it doesn't mean that 15 minutes later, 30 minutes later, or five hours later that they could return to the same behavior. I think this verse and this passage creates a great opportunity to have some serious discussions about how we, I think how the American church, and I'm just going to speak of America, I can't speak about the church around the world, that we've almost created our own idea of what repentance is and what repentance isn't. When it's genuine and when it's not genuine, when we have to accept it and when we can say, I'm sorry, your repentance is not genuine, so I'm not forgiving you. I'm sorry, you're not really sorry, I'm not forgiving you. Because we're very quick to do that in the American church. If someone gets caught and they say they repent and sorry, well, we have a tendency to say, well, the only reason they repented and they're sorry is because they got caught. We immediately judge the, the sincerity of the repentance. If we'd have been there when David got called out, we'd been like, the only reason David wrote Psalm 51 is because he got caught. He didn't really mean it. So we have a tendency to judge the sincerity of repentance, even if we're not impacted by it. And we're very quick, (laughs) very quick to say, hey, I'm not forgiving that person. That's like six times. That's like six times today they've done this. I've told them 50 times to stop doing that, yet they keep doing it. I'm done. I'm not repenting. I'm not forgiving and I'm not accepting their repentance. But Jesus says seventy times seven. So how do you understand this today? Is this Jesus simply saying, you can't judge someone's repentance. You can't judge the sincerity of their repentance. Even if they sin against you seven times in one day, even if they sin against you 70 times seven, you can't judge the sincerity of their repentance. So you accept their claim and you forgive. Is that, what, is that the point? Here? Or is the point here, hey, someone can actually be truly sincerely repenting, yet they may continue to commit the same sin more than once, more than twice, maybe seven times in one day, maybe 70 times seven. Which one do you go with? That we can't judge the sincerity of someone's repentance or someone can be genuinely repentant and yet continue to commit the same sin over and over and over. Or is it a little of both? Or do you throw out both interpretations and you have your own new one? No, because, I mean, hey, you know, there's there's never a limit of interpretations when speaking to Christians, right? I mean, you know, there's—everyone's <laughs> got their own interpretation, which is—I don't know. I, I don't really—I don't—I've I, been—I don't know. I don't have a good answer. We're, we are quick to question someone's repentance. We're really quick to question someone's apology. We're really quick to say you're forgiven, but, but here's the 37 consequences that we're going to impose on you. No, may have nothing in script and we'll try to find scriptures to justify. We, we, people do that all the time. Well, David may have repented, but, but he wasn't allowed to build the temple. Oh, okay. So, and and then from that, they interpret that, that they can impose other restrictions on people. First of all, that was God imposing the restriction. And second, the same God who wouldn't let him build the temple, let him write inspired scripture for crying out loud. So he couldn't build the temple. He could just write the scripture that you preach and teach and you tell your kids to memorize. And oh, by the way, the one who could build the temple happened to be a serial adulterer, a polygamist. And then ended up an idolater. But hey, that's okay. He got to build the temple. Like, it's just weird. Like, we, we we always want the ability to question the sincerity of someone's repentance, question the sincerity of someone's apology. We always want the ability to say, I don't have to forgive. And then we always want the ability to impose consequences and restrictions and, and, and actions upon people who've messed up. We, 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 basically, we want to be God in every area of our life. If you really think about it, we want to be God. We want to judge sincerity of repentance. We want to judge sincerity of apology. We want to be able to decide if we should forgive or not forgive. And we want to be able to call and to place restrictions or, or consequences on people's actions because we want the ability to basically do whatever we want and control what everyone else does. I think that's the problem. but even this seems to be to me now you can tell me if you link the two together that even the person who causes someone else to sin when that person is the one sinning against you they've trespassed against you because they caused you to sin even though jesus says it's better for them to take a millstone and throw themselves in the ocean even that person jesus seems to be implying here if they repent and they're sorry, they, they if they repent then they are to be forgiven now, if you go back to Luke 17, <laughs> when the apostles hear this, I love this. And the apostle said to him, Lord, Increase our faith. <laughs> okay. It seems that the apostles hear this and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. I'm going to need some more faith if I'm going to pull this off. Now, the next part gets a little confusing about what Jesus has to say, but immediately it seems to me that when they hear this, they're somewhat shocked and they're somewhat like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You want me to do what? Because it seems, well, at least according to some sources, that within Jewish culture, three times was the limit. If someone, you know, sins against you you three times. After three times, you're done. You, you can And so even just going to seven is already crazy. But in Matthew 18, Jesus goes 70 times seven. That's absolutely unheard of. And that, look, let's just be honest. That goes beyond any of our comprehension and our understanding. We, we can't even wrap our minds. I doubt we can even wrap our minds around someone doing the same thing to us seven times in one day. And each time we're like, well, they said they repent. I forgive them. And then even then, I don't know how much we would truly forgive them. And then they say increase their faith. And Jesus says, if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you might say unto this sick, uh, uh, sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root uh, and, and thou be planted in the sea and it should obey you, I mean that 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 verse, man. I, we could spend forever trying to figure that out. Yeah, that's psychamine, s y c a m i n e. I was just immediately going to read that as a sycamore tree, but it says psych sy- 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 psych psychamine tree. All right, that caught me off guard. All right, but um, yeah, what exactly what that means? I man, oh. <laughs> I know this. Clearly, it's got to have some kind of a spiritual meaning because there's lots of people who take that in a very, 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 very wooden literal way. And they're out there telling a tree. I- I'm going to move this tree. I'm going to move this mountain. I'm going to tell the storm to stop. And while well, those things don't happen. So what in the world is going on there? I don't know. But in this particular case, they are perplexed and confounded and confused by Jesus telling them, hey, forgive. And I will say, once again, goes be we're, we're going to be condemned by this because there's, we're going to have a hard time forgiving someone 70 times 7. We're going to have a hard time forgiving someone 7 times in one day. So I know then by faith, it's going to be, I got to put my faith in Christ who can do this and does do this correctly. So I know there's a little law and gospel element going on here. But it it just, do we have our understanding of repentance correct? Or have we been so, have we placed our tradition on top of God's word? Have we placed our tradition in front of God's word? Now, what I need you to do is I need you to find someone in your family today. I need you to say, hey you know, I hate this. You know, it makes me angry. It makes me mad. It upsets me. It hurts me when you do this thing. Now I need you to do this thing to me (laughs) seven times today. And each time just tell me you repent and you're sorry. And I'm going to see by the end of the day, have I truly forgiven you or am I plotting your death? Okay. All right. Now, whoever you ask in your family to do that, they may get very excited and they may love the opportunity to do that to you. But by the end of the day, I think you may be calling into question, I don't know about this. And I think that's the whole point is we're all going to be confronted with our inability to do this. Do this. You know why? Just as the person repenting may turn around and do the same thing over and over because they have a sinful nature, the people supposed to be forgiving have the same sinful nature, and we won't forgive. So don't we kind of both end up in the same boat of falling way short? It's Jesus' whole point is that we have to have faith in Christ and by that faith in Christ, then we can accomplish this, but we're doing it positionally and not practically. I don't know. People would say that's a cop-out because, no, by faith you can do this practically. I just don't think anyone's pulling this off if they're even remotely honest with themselves, even practically. So I don't know. You, you can take that next part apart. I, I don't have the next part figured out. Obviously, I I had not been paying much attention to it. I've been focusing on the if they sin against you seven times forget if they repent. I've been focusing on the uh, repentance part, and you know that because as soon as I started reading verse six, sycamine tree, I immediately I was like, or sycamine tree. However, you I should say it. I I was caught off guard because I just immediately was going to read it as sycamore, and because obviously I had not focused on that part. I'd focused on the repentance part. I'd focused on, you know, the seven times in a day. I, 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 forgiving, I was focused on that. The, the next part, I have not spent a lot of time on because the other part just really captured my focus today. And I don't know what to do with the next part. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know. I do know faith is small as a mustard seed. In Christ, in a sense, does move trees, mountains, and everything else because in Christ, I am perfect, holy, righteous, forgiven, all of those things. In Christ, his obedience is imputed to me. I just need a little bit of faith, right? Just a little bit of faith in Christ is sufficient, but if you put it in a more practical terms, I don't know exactly what you do with that. But you can, you can mess with that. But I'm, I, I really want you to focus on the first part. I probably shouldn't even have read the second part, but, you know, couldn't, couldn't stop myself. Because it is interesting to the way the disciple the apostles are like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We need more faith. That's not happening. Okay? It's like you even there. like, are you going to be kidding me? You, gotta be, you have to be kidding me. And if you look at the Matthew 18 one, which is interesting, the Matthew 18 passage, which is fascinating, the what leads Peter to say, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? This comes right after the whole discussion about church discipline. The section before it is church discipline. Hey, if someone sins against you, at some point they may have to be put in front of the church and they may be, in a sense, excommunicated to use that terminology. But Peter is like, hey. How many times do I have to forgive them? How many times could this happen? Well, 70 times seven. We still have to forgive. We have to forgive. We have to forgive. We have to forgive. Over and 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 over. And and I tell you that if someone kept committing a certain sin, most churches would be like, they're not really sorry. Their repentance is not genuine. We're going to church discipline them. But the, the Bible seems to say, no, 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 70 times seven. And we'd be like, nope, they're not really sorry. Well, all right, but I don't You you put that all together. All right. I should have done this as a Today's Focus, but I hate doing Today's Focuses at 5 p.m. Okay. I guess it doesn't really matter when I do it, so I probably should have done it there, but that's okay. That is is, uh, Today's Broadcast, and I would love to get your thoughts. And hopefully I've given you more than one thing to think about and meditate on. I don't have good answers here. I, you know what I found? Luke 14, we didn't have good answers. Luke 16, we definitely didn't have good answers. Luke 17, I still don't have good answers. What I, Luke may be the gospel to take to hermeneutics class. And everybody's like, I have no idea because I have no idea. I'd love to get your thoughts, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I hope you'll spend some time meditating on this, struggling with it, thinking about it. And uh, feel free to share your perspective. Everyone have a great day, a great evening. God bless.